Father, we also thank you for the gift of your word, and we, we thank you that it's true, and that it's a gift of love for your people. We want to be those who don't just hear it, um, but who really receive it, and who are transformed by it. And Holy Spirit, we trust that that's your good work among us, and so we pray, would you come and um, help us to hear, and help us to see Jesus, for we pray in his name, amen. Scripture today is Matthew chapter 6, and we will read verses 5 through 13. Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. Hear the word of God. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the things Jesus shows us in this passage is that there is a difference between praying and praying as a Christian. There's prayer and there's Christian prayer. Uh, and if we're going to be people who, um, who pray as Christians, well, then we need to let Jesus teach us how to pray. And, and that's why we've given a few weeks to looking at this prayer together, um, because it's so important. Like, if we, if we bypass this, or if we lose sight of it, or if we let the Lord's Prayer just fade into the background and think that we can um, just uh, embark on a prayer journey of our own, chances are our praying is going to be really out of whack. And Jesus uh, wants to form our prayers by his own teaching. And so um, the past couple of Sundays, we looked at the first half of the prayer, and you might remember that it is really focused on God. Uh, and, and we're in it, but we're kind of in the background. So hallowed be your name, God, and your kingdom come, your will be done. But here, with this, um, this next petition, the focus shifts. Give us this day our daily bread. And I just want to look at this one petition with you. Give us this day our daily bread. Right away, one of the things that reminds us, uh, family, is that we are in a position of um, like deep neediness and radical dependence. Before we go out and look for daily bread or work for daily bread or bake daily bread, we are taught by Jesus simply to ask for it, to ask for it, like to present our need to God in prayer. And, and so in teaching us to do this, not just like once, but over and over again, day after day, Jesus is inviting us to adopt this posture of um, real humility, seeing how needy we are and how dependent we are. And it's a great comfort, family, that our Father in heaven, like, he, he invites this. 
us. He wants this. He wants us to bring all of our needs before him in prayer, and then he wants to meet our needs. Like, we're, in, we're invited to bring our needs before God, not just every now and then, uh, but, but regularly, consistently, over and over again, daily, again and again. Some interpreters have tried to spiritualize this verse. And they say Jesus is really teaching us to, to pray for spiritual bread, to take care of our spiritual needs. And, and I think that there is a way to expand this to, to encompass all of our needs, including our spiritual needs. Of course, God does want to meet our spiritual needs. Uh, but we shouldn't move too quickly beyond the fact that this is just a prayer about actual bread, uh, stuff that you can touch and taste and, and chew and swallow. Like, God cares about our physical well-being. Uh, God's kingdom is about our stomachs as much as it's about our souls. We see this in the ministry of Jesus. You know, he always cared for people as whole people. You remember that? So uh, when he would forgive a person's sin, he would also do something like heal that person's legs. Or when he would cast out a demon from someone, he would also restore that person to his or her community. And you remember that Jesus liked to feed people. You remember the story about him feeding over 5,000 people with baskets of bread and fish. And, what, and you know, if you ask, why did Jesus do that? Like, was it just to show that he could do that? Like a really amazing party trick. Check, check this out, you guys. I can multiply loaves of bread. No, um, he did it because people were hungry. And Jesus wanted to satisfy their physical hunger. Um, God cares about our physical, personal needs. And, and so one of the things this petition does is it, it just gives us freedom to bring all of that to God in prayer. Um, nothing is too mundane, nothing too trivial, nothing is off limits. Uh, God delights family to hear um, our prayers for his pro provision over and over again over and over again, daily. It's a prayer to be prayed every day. Give us this day what's for this day. Um, you'll get tired of praying this prayer before your Father in Heaven gets tired of hearing it. I wonder if you believe that. I think a lot of times we worry that we're, we're pestering God with the, the same prayer over and over again. And I think this petition shows us, no, we're not. No, we're not. You know, sometimes as a dad... I get impatient or frustrated when, well, let's just say Judah, because he's looking at me and smiling at me, when my son Judah, <laughs> sometimes I get impatient and frustrated when Judah just asks me for the same thing over and over again. Um, our Father in Heaven is a way better dad than I am. He doesn't get impatient. He doesn't get frustrated. He actually invites our pestering in prayer. So the more we believe that, I think the more this prayer will freely flow from our lips. I find great comfort in that. Uh, but it also raises a concern for me, and I wonder if it raises a concern for you too, because when you think about it, like sometimes we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and we pray, and God doesn't seem to answer. We ask for something, and we don't get it. Sometimes our prayers go unanswered. And so what do we do with that? What do we do with that? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know entirely. I mean... Uh, I think that there's a lot of mystery around prayer. God is sovereign. God knows everything. God can do whatever God wants to do. And still somehow 
God chooses to work out his good plan in a way that includes, incorporates our prayers. And I don't know all the mysterious ins and outs of that. But let me just make a few comments about unanswered prayer that might be helpful, maybe not. Uh, first, like one thing to, to realize is that it's actually really good that God doesn't always give us what we ask for. <laughs> Right? Like, if, if God were committed to, to giving us everything we asked for, well, then, in effect, God wouldn't be God. We would be God, and, and God would be, like, our servants, or God would be, like, a big magic genie in the sky whose uh, main job was to do our bidding. And, you know, that might be cool in our imaginations, but if you really start to think about what a disaster that would be for the world, um, like, none of us wants a God like that, who is just at our beck and call to do our bidding whenever we ask for it. So it never hurts to remind ourselves that God is God, and uh, we're not. He's entirely good. He's a lot wiser than we are. And so, because of that, like, of course he's not going to give us everything we ask for. Because we're just not anywhere nearly as good as he is or as wise as he is. So that's one observation. Second... Because God is entirely good and, and wise, um, God makes a distinction between our real needs and our interpretation of those needs. In other words, he makes a distinction between what we really need and what we only think we need. A lot of times we don't make that distinction. We just assume that that's one and the same. So uh, sometimes God might not give us what we ask for, but he is still very much responding to and answering our prayers. Here's how Philip Yancey puts it. He writes this. In prayer, we present requests, sometimes repeatedly, and then we put ourselves in a state to receive the result. But, like Peter, we may pray for food and get a lesson in racism. Like Paul, we may pray for healing and get humility. We, we may ask for relief from trials and instead get patience to bear them. We may pray for release from prison and instead get strength to redeem the time while we're there. See, sometimes God gives us what we really need instead of giving us merely what we think we need. I'll give you a couple of examples. One, one's from Scripture, and, and Philip Yancey already alluded to it, and the other is from church history. Um, think about the Apostle Paul. Think about the Apostle Paul. He prayed and he prayed that God would relieve him from uh, this thorn in his side. And we don't know exactly what the thorn was, but whatever it was, we know Paul did not want this. This was something that Paul wanted God to take away. And did God take it away from him? No. Yeah. Like, and, and so on one level, Paul's prayer seemed to go unanswered. God seemed to be unresponsive. But God was responding to Paul's prayer uh, in another way because um, God knew Paul's deep desire to be like this strong and faithful and effective minister of the gospel. And so God didn't take the thorn away, but he did say to Paul, my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so in other words, it's like God is saying, I'm not going to give you what you're telling me you want, but I am going to give you what you really need and, and what you really want on this deep level. Like God is saying to Paul, you will be strong. You will be an effective minister of the gospel, but you will be all of that through weakness, which is not what Paul expected, but it actually was what Paul really wanted. 
Here's another example from the life of St. Augustine. Some of you who are familiar with this story will remember this, that uh, his mother was a really devout Christian, but early on, Augustine was, was not. And, and in fact, he was really promiscuous and um, like really into all sorts of pagan philosophy. And this was just like heartbreaking to his mother, whose like, deepest desire was that Augustine would come to know and trust Jesus. And she prayed for this to happen over and over again. And the way she envisioned this happening was through her influence, like by Augustine remaining with her and um, by God opening up conversations for them to have and eventually Augustine coming to trust God. And so she, she prayed that God would change Augustine's heart. Um, but the only way she could imagine that happening was through her relationship, because she was the main Christian influence in Augustine's life. Well, she prayed and prayed, and there was no change. And then one day, uh, and quite, um, quite suddenly, Augustine decided to leave his mother and to go to Rome. And uh, he was going to Rome to study pagan philosophy, not to become a Christian. And this broke his mother's heart. Like, all of her prayers for her son seemed to have gone unanswered. But then years later, years later, reflecting on this, here's how Augustine um, interprets this whole episode of his life. He says, During the night secretly, I sailed away, leaving her, that's his mother, alone to her tears and her prayers. And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? But you did not do as she asked you then. Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart. How? Because uh, going off to Rome set off this course of events that eventually did lead Augustine to become a Christian. And, and you see, his, his mom's deep desire uh, was not actually that Augustine would stay with her, but that he would come to know Jesus. And he did. And so God wasn't answering her prayer, but God was answering her prayer. You see that? God is wise. God is wise. Like sometimes he gives us what we really need and what we really desire on a deep level, and he does that precisely by not giving us what we ask for. I wonder if you can think of examples in your own story where your prayers went unanswered at one level, but at another level, looking back, you can see that God was responding to your prayer in a much better, much wiser way than you could have imagined. Here's a third observation. Sometimes God doesn't give us what we ask for simply because we're asking for the wrong things. Remember the prayer is, give us this day our daily bread. Um, think about what that's a prayer for. Bread is basic. Right? Bread is a necessity. If we were all to sit down and make a list of the things we really need, uh, probably those lists would be fairly short. Uh, Food, water, place to live, maybe clothing, you know, things like that. What, what are the things you really need? You see, um, we have incredible freedom to pray for anything, to bring not just our needs, but like all of our wants, all the desires of our hearts to God in prayer. But, but here, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray for enough. Just for enough. Enough for right here right now. Give us what we need for this day. Not tomorrow. Like, that's so hard, isn't it? 
Because we're always thinking about tomorrow. We're, we're anticipating what our needs will be tomorrow and the next day and 10 years from now and 20 years from now. And Jesus is like shifting our perspective to think about like, what do I need here and now? And, and can I go to my Heavenly Father with that need? A couple of verses in the book of James hold this tension. He says, James says, on one hand, you don't have because you don't ask. You remember that? Like, in other words, the, the encouragement is ask and ask and ask and keep asking. Let the give us prayers flow freely. God might want to bring a good gift into our lives, and the only reason that, that we are not experiencing it is that we're just not asking for it. We're not asking for it. Um, so ask. But then James turns around and he says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. In other words, a lot of times, maybe we're not getting what we ask for just because we're asking for stuff that is completely unnecessary, that, that maybe doesn't connect with God's kingdom in any meaningful way whatsoever, for fluff to, to waste on our own desires, um, when what Jesus is telling us we ought to be asking for is daily bread, what we need for this day. Well, I'll leave it there. Uh, this is just scratching the surface of uh, the mystery of an unanswered prayer. If you're in interested in um, digging into this more, I don't know how you say this guy's last name. He's, he's a British guy. Pete Gregg, Greg, Greg, I don't know. It's G-R-E-I-G. How do you say that? Is it Greg? Pete Gregg. Okay, Pete Gregg. Um, that seems like the right pronunciation, Pete Gregg. Uh, he's written a really good book called God on Mute. And in that book, he just uh, wrestles with how do we stay in engaged with God in prayer when our prayers seem to go unanswered, when God seems to remain silent. And, and one of the things he does in, a, in an appendix is he, he just lists like 16 or 17 different um, reasons that we see in scripture for why God might not be answering our prayers. And it's helpful. So uh, I'll leave it there. Let's move on. Um, the petition brings great comfort because um, we're free to bring all of our needs to God in prayer. It raises a concern because sometimes our prayers go unanswered. Um, I think another thing this petition does is it, it brings a challenge, and it's a twofold challenge. We're already touching on the first one. There, re there really is a challenge here to trust. You know, when the disciples heard Jesus teach about praying for daily bread, they would have immediately remembered a story from the Old Testament. You remember when Jesus was, excuse me, when um, Israel was wandering around in the desert uh, before entering the promised land, they ran out of food, Israel did. And you remember how God provided for them with this, with the manna, with the, with the stuff, with the stuff that just comes from, from heaven, but it's bread. And, and you remember that they could gather only enough for the day. And if they tried to stockpile their manna, if they tried to save up for the week to come, uh, it would spoil and rot. And so they had to depend on God day after day for their survival. They could take only enough for that day, only their daily bread. Now, we're not wandering around in a literal desert for 40 years, but you know this, especially if you just stop to consider it, that like we are just as needy and dependent as God's people have ever been. 
we're really good at disguising this fact from ourselves in, in all kinds of ways, but the reality is you and I do not sustain ourselves. We don't give ourselves life. If God were to withdraw his caring hand from us, it's not that we would like gradually fade away. It's just that we, like we would cease to exist altogether. Um, we really are needy creatures. And, and so the challenge then is to be creatures who are needy and then who really trust that we have, have this God who sees us, who knows us, who loves us, and whose desire is to care for us and to take care of our needs. Um, I wonder if you trust God like that. I wonder as you consider the needs that you face in your life today, if you can dare to take them to God in prayer like this, and then just to really trust that God is going to give you what you need even if it's not what you think you need. There's a, there's a profound challenge to trust. And there's also a challenge to serve. Um, you know, for the most part, our prayers for daily bread get answered. For the most part, I mean, look, out, look around the room. Like, we have enough. We have what we need. But there's some people in our circles who really don't. Dale Bruner says that this petition for daily bread should stick in the throat of full Christians. Because not all of us are rich, but is God providing for us? Yeah, absolutely God is. And so for us, give us our daily bread leads quickly to thank you because we really are being cared for. We really are being provided for. We have enough. But not everyone has enough. And Jesus doesn't teach us to pray for my daily bread. He teaches us to pray for our daily bread, which, which opens up our viewpoint to consider the needs not only of ourselves, but of others. Um, it means that God would have us move with compassion for people who are not receiving daily bread. And we don't have to look far to find those people, not even in our own community, not even in our city. Like people who are struggling to have their physical needs met. Our praying needs to include prayer for their daily bread too. And it accompanies a call to service. Like how might God want to work through us who have been given all kinds of gifts with our relative abundance to move out in love and care and service for others who have less? Okay, so there's a challenge in that petition. The prayer brings a challenge to trust and also a challenge to serve. How can we live this out? How can we be people who um, trust God to meet our every need? And, and how can we trust his wisdom even when it feels like he's not meeting our needs? And how can we become more open to being used by God to meet the needs of others? Helmut Tillica was a pastor uh, in Germany, and he was a theologian. He once preached a sermon on this petition for daily bread, and uh, in that sermon he said this. He said, because God has given to you the greatest things, you can come to him with the smallest things. So I've been mulling on that. Because God has given you the greatest things, you can come to him with the smallest things. His point 
is that God has given us God. God has given us uh, himself as Jesus, who is the greatest thing, and, and he is ours, and we are his. And so one of the things that, that that means is that his perfectly faithful life is ours. Like, it's really ours. You know, God's people were in the wilderness, and God was providing for their daily needs with bread from heaven. God was, like, perfectly, faithfully taking care of his people. And what did they do? You remember? They grumbled. They complained. They doubted. They fretted. They worried. They got anxious. Yeah, we have it today, but what about tomorrow? And so often that's our story. I know know so often that's my story. It's fret, worry. I think maybe like God's perfect track record of taking care of me will somehow like end in the next moment. But you remember when Jesus began his ministry, um, the gospel writers tell us that after his baptism, he was sent out into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil. And one of the ways he was tempted was... Uh, to provide for himself, to turn stones into bread, instead of relying on his heavenly father to provide for him. Like he was tempted to uh, forget or to abandon his dependence on God. But you remember the story, like where Israel failed and where you and I so often fail, Jesus stood firm, which is to say uh, he stayed needy and he refused to assume like this rebel posture of self-reliance saying, my life is my own and it's up to me to take care of myself. Jesus just trusted his heavenly father and he did it perfectly. And he did that perfectly for you and for me. In that moment, family, he is being faithful for us. And so his life is ours. And whenever we gather around this table, uh, we also remember that his death is ours too that God has given us himself as Jesus, and he has given himself without reserve, like just completely, entirely, to the point of uh, laying down his life for you and me, to the point of being broken like bread, to the point of being poured out like wine. And so in comparison to what God has done for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, everything else is kind of small stuff. Like, uh, if, if we have a God who, who cares for us by giving us God, what are, we, what are we really worried about? So you think about the beginning of this new school year. What are you really worried about? Students, teachers, administrators. As you think about your marriage that just feels like uh, a mess, what are you really worried about if God is this for you? When you think about all the needs that your, that your family is facing and, and you see your kids who, are, who just seem to be running away from Jesus as fast as they can, you really worried about when you see that um, Jesus is so committed to saving you and them? He he withholds nothing. See his self-giving love for you, family, and 
and let it sink in. Um, here is love that brings real transformation. It frees us to be people who can really trust and really serve. Um, how can you trust God to meet your needs? Well, because he's already given you the most precious thing. He's not withholding um, the very best thing from you. And so can you trust that he, he really won't withhold from you anything that's for your good? You don't have to doubt his love. Is God going to give you what you need? Yes. And how do you know? Because he did not withhold his one and only son from you. You're free to trust him. And you're also free to serve. You know, a lot of times what keeps us from serving, maybe I'll speak for myself, but I think it's true for you too. I'll speak for us. A lot of, a lot of times uh, what keeps us from serving is that uh, we think that we are dealing with um, extremely limited resources. Our time is limited. Our possessions are really limited. Uh, what else? Um, our brains are limited. Uh, our money is limited. And, and, the, and see, the, the world has a way of, of framing up our lives so that all of that stuff is like it. That's the most important stuff, time and possessions and, and money. Uh, and and with, like, if you have that scarcity mentality, you're like, this is the most important stuff in the world and I only have this much of it, well then, it's really hard to serve, isn't it? Because every bit of time you give away is time that you've lost forever. Every, every possession that you share is a possession that's no longer yours. Your money is, is uh, it's not, like, if it's so limited, like, how can you ever stand to part with it? Um, if today's bread is all you have, how can you stand to give it away? And look at the table. Like, when you see that Jesus is giving you all of who he is and all of what he has, then everything else just becomes... Uh, it's not that it's unimportant, but they're, they're just good gifts from God to like plow out into the lives of others for the good of God's coming kingdom. And we have nothing to lose by doing that. Like really nothing to lose by doing that. You can bring it all to God and you can say, here I am with all of these resources you've given me to steward and I'm at your service. I'm at your service. Show me what to do. Let's pray.